Not too long ago, I told you about a friend of mine from seminary. His name is uh, Andy Brum. And you may recall that in this story, uh, Andy um, was a friend of mine from seminary, and we were kind of doing time together, and we had pulled him over. He was an evangelist at the time. And Andy was the product of a rape by a Nazi SS soldier uh, with one of the, well, with Andy's mom. Let's say it that way. And uh, Andy became a troubled young man, was arrested for armed robbery. That was to support a drug habit that had just totally spun out of control. And so uh, I want to pick up the story with one that he told me one time because I think it kind of grabs us where we ought to be grabbed from time to time. Andy said he was on an airplane uh, one time, jet, uh, jet full of passengers, and as they were making their way from point A to point B somewhere, they, he said they hit some turbulence. Now, the way he said it to me was, turbulence is not really a strong enough word for this. He said it was one of those things that the plane was pitching back and forth and up and down, and occasionally it would just like the bottom dropped out and it would descend for what he said seemed like five or ten minutes. Clearly it wasn't. Uh, but he said it was so disturbing to everybody on board that people were screaming out when something like that would happen. Uh, we have a, a member in our family that when we hit turbulence like that, inside they put out their landing gear like this, you know. And he said this lady that was sitting next to him just was grabbing him, his leg and grabbing the arm and just, she was just totally freaking out. So Andy leaned over to her and he said, so are you afraid of dying today? Now, what do you, does that sound like a dumb question? Of course she was afraid of dying. But Andy used that as an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with her. Now, I don't remember whether she made a profession of faith or not. I don't really think she did. But I do know Andy well enough to know that in that exchange that he had with her, she had the opportunity to be ready to die that day if that's what was in store for them because of Jesus Christ. Can you ever imagine yourself doing that? Having a conversation like that with somebody on an airplane, period, much less in circumstances like that. I'm going to get on a plane tomorrow evening. Uh, Y'all need to pray for me. I'm going to the Southern Baptist Convention. Somebody scheduled that in Anaheim, California for some reason. <laughs> and uh, we have bad things happening in the Southern Baptist Convention right now. And so we're going to go get some reports so that we can stay on top of that. But uh, the bad things that are happening in the convention are not friendly things when it comes to being in California. So I'm going to get on an airplane tomorrow evening, and I don't know if I'll have that conversation with somebody or not, but I'll promise you I'll be thinking about my friend Andy and how he seized the moment to share a gospel witness. Can you imagine yourself doing that? Let me take some pressure off of you and say, okay, instead of in that circumstance, let me just ask this question. What are the circumstances that would have to be right for you to be willing to say to a complete stranger, do you know Jesus Christ? I think that sometimes we kind of hold on to this idea that as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that we are called to be his witnesses, as Paul says in uh, 2 
Corinthians, I think it is, that we are ambassadors for Christ. And I think we collectively uh, embrace that, but when it comes to the real, actual, day-to-day, real people sharing the gospel with people, sometimes I think that we're a little bit reluctant to do that. So what I want to do today is I want to take you back a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, the whole message was tied around uh, this basic statement that we should be appropriately filled. Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit, Scripture tells us, three different times. And so in the midst of his martyrdom, as they were stoning him to death, we find this this personal characteristic uh, of the holiness of Jesus Christ in him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as he's dying, he's able to reach into their situation and minister to them with a prayer that says, don't hold this against them, God. I overlaid that with a passage from Galatians where it says, be not angry. The crowd there was enraged. And so we looked over at Galatians chapter 5 where Paul talks about the desires of the flesh. And so when we're filled with the desires of the flesh, we end up not doing the will of God. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a natural byproduct of everyday life that we do that. So I want to take that a step further today. I want to give you three different elements that come from the passage today that what what we bring to a gospel witness in the lives of other people, when we are filled appropriately, that is filled with the Holy Spirit, there are some things that he puts in place for us that make those encounters less intimidating to us, more powerful in the spiritual realm. So take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Acts chapter 8. As you know, we've been working our way through the book of Acts. We're several months into this. We're in chapter 8. So in the year 2029, we should finish this series. (laughs) It's really not about the series. It's about the content of God's Word. And what we're talking about throughout this whole series is embracing the truth that each of us as followers of Jesus Christ should be, are, on a road trip taking the gospel to people. And we're finding all of these insights, if you will, that some people would even call them hacks on how to really live the Christian life in a way that is is winsome to those people outside and those people around us. Today, we get some help from a guy named Philip. The spotlight now shifts off of Simon Peter. It was on Stephen for a couple of chapters. It moves over to Philip, and uh, we'll we'll deal with Philip today and next week and tonight. I'll get to that in a moment. And then we're going to move on because after that, Paul takes center stage for almost the rest of the whole book of Acts. So it's a transition point. And what we found was the people, uh, the Christians, that early church in Jerusalem now because of persecution is being pushed out outside of the city of Jerusalem. And that's where we find Philip here. Here's the big truth I want you to take with you today. As we follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our everyday life, the gospel gains a foothold in the lives of people. As we follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the gospel gains a foothold in the lives of people with whom we work. It's not because you're good. It's because God's good. It's not because you're a great orator or a great communicator with people. It's because the Holy Spirit working through his people plants the gospel message in their hearts. So... Here's the first of three truths I want you to get. When we are appropriately, appropriately filled, we have a message to share. Last week, as we said, way to go, now go to work to our graduates, I talked about sharing a story. 
I talked about sharing God's story, but also said make it your story. And so as we've come to this point, that's really what the book of Acts has been about. It's been that these people, as the Holy Spirit fills them and as they are, are, are drawn to Jesus Christ and transformed by him through the Spirit in their lives, they have a story to tell. And they've told it in Jerusalem, and now there are thousands of Christians who are being pushed out into the nearby areas. But that, that truth of share a story that is all of ours has a nuance or something that comes with that, and that is we need to be calculating and careful about how we communicate that story. Philip's going to show us that in just a moment, but let me see if I can't set the table for you a little bit about the value of communication. Now, I could give you just kind of a, a basic definition of what communication is. So here it is. Communication is when a message is sent from one party to the other. That's actually not communication yet. If I send a message, let's just be really, let's go way out there. and Let's say that as pastor, I, up here, I come up here and I preach a sermon and one or more or none of the congregation gets it. Has there been communication there? The answer is no. There's been a message sent, but there's not been a message received. So communication functions at that level. A message is sent to another party or parties, and that group gets the message. They receive it. We don't want, hear me, please hear me very carefully now. This is not a criticism or necessarily even a critique of how we tend to do evangelism inside the church in the 21st century. I've been a Baptist for a long time. I'm 61 years old, and I've been a Baptist for 62 years. <laughs> and as Baptists, this is a message that is part of our DNA. I, you cannot be a Baptist and go, well, we're not too sure about that whole evangelism thing. That's just, that's just not who we are. And in this church especially, a church that when I was interviewed to come here, y'all were very careful to say we are a mission-minded church. Evangelism is part of what we do, right? All right, that's six of us. <laughs> so I say all that to say I want us to get this message. I want to really communicate what we find in this passage today. No, really, not just this one, the whole book of Acts. It, it, one, one guy wrote a book one time called Every Member Evangelism. You know what we call every member evangelism? Biblical. So I want you to wear this personally. Are you actively sharing the gospel with Jesus Christ? And then that gets us to the point of, of saying, okay, so how well are we communicating that? When you find yourself in the midst of a gospel exchange with somebody, how well do you communicate the good news of Jesus Christ? What do you say to them? And, I, and I'm not down on this. I just think we have to be careful that all the little the formulas that we use and the formulaic approach where we have these little nice little compound neat ways of getting the gospel out. I gave you one of those last week so you know that I'm not totally against them. But we have to know that we're talking to real people who may or may not be getting what we're trying to communicate. So we want healthy communication. You realize, now I've, I've been at this for a while, 
had a great deal of training and counseling. I don't do counseling. Uh, but if I do, it's a pastoral kind of counseling, which is let's go to Scripture and see what it says. But, but if you go to a real counselor, they will emphasize the need for healthy communication. And one of the things that a real counselor would probably tell us today is that many, many couples have real problems with communication in their marriage. I would even say that many of the problems that end in divorce are tied to communication problems. But that communication problem is triggered by some other kind of thing, like money, for instance. So let's just try this on, okay? I am not, I am not, I am not talking about my wife. <laughs> Did you get that? Okay. <laughs> she just said, good job. <laughs> message sent, message received. <laughs> but let's say in your marriage, something happened. Have you noticed the prices are going up out there? Yeah. So let's just say that, that a husband and wife, it doesn't matter which one is leading this conversation, but a husband and wife situation, whoever runs the money in their house, comes up and says, you know what, we need to, we're kind of tight on finances now, so, so let's just kind of keep that in mind. And bad communication, immediately the other partner says, oh, so you're saying I spend too much money. Don't raise your hand if that happens in your house. Is that good communication? Is that healthy communication? By the way, if that is your house, don't call me this afternoon. Okay, you can call me this afternoon. It's all right. We'll try to help. Healthy communication. A message is sent. The message is received. But the message is received in a way that allows for further communication. Oh, you're saying I spend too much money? Is that it? It's not healthy. And it has a tendency to either shut down communication or escalate, neither of which is healthy in a relationship. You with me? So now let's take that and let's put it right into a gospel witness kind of scenario. We as Christian people have the message that needs to be sent. Jesus Christ loves you enough that he died on a cross so that you might have life. If you're here today and you don't hear anything else I say, I hope to communicate that in a healthy way to you. Jesus Christ gives us forgiveness of sin, he forgives our sin nature, and he gives us that opportunity for life as God intended it to be. If you're here today and your life is a little bit stressful and your life is a little bit out of balance and out of whack and you're just not too happy with this whole life thing, you ought to know Jesus Christ. And we love to introduce people to him. We have the message that this world needs. So how do we share it? How are we sharing that message? In case you're wondering, we are going to go to Scripture. 
Sometimes I like to give you the application up front so that the Scripture makes a whole lot more sense when you get there. Here's what I'm saying. I take everything that I've said up to this point, and I'll say it this way. When it comes to sharing the gospel, packaging matters. We cannot go into a gospel. We should not go into a gospel encounter with somebody else just trying to get our spiel out for them. It's about connecting with them. And so the Holy Spirit gives us the message that we need. Look at Acts chapter 8 now and verse 5. I'll go back to 4, but that was a message from last week. Now, those who had scattered went about preaching the word. Here's our text, or at least part of it. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Let me just stop there. In the case you're looking at it going, how are you going to stop right there? That's just like a lead-in to the rest of it. Actually, no. What we find here is that Philip, not just here, but in the other passage we're about to go to, that Philip is really clear about sending a message that the other person gets. So he goes to Samaria, and the background of Samaria, and I don't have time to go into the whole background of the Samaritans, but I'll just push you back to a couple of instances in the gospel. You remember when Jesus is passing through Samaria, and he gets there, and so he, they, he needs, they need food. And so the disciples go into town, and Jesus hangs out at this water well, and while he's there, John 4, I believe this is, while he's there, this woman comes up in the heat of the day, and they have this exchange. Notice how Jesus does that. That's not the sermon today, but notice, go back and read that. Notice how Jesus engages her. The message that he shares is tailored to her. And somewhere in there, she says, why are you even talking to me? The Jews don't have anything to do with the Samaritans. That's who Philip goes to. It's an interesting dynamic here. That problem between the Jews and the Samaritans goes all the way back into the Old Testament. And the Jews didn't really have much regard for the Samaritans. Actually, more like, uh, 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 actually, they kind of looked at them like they were dogs. And so the woman's going, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Who are you to be talking to me? Y'all don't even like us. That's not what she says, but that's the sentiment there. So now Philip goes to that group. Here's one of the things about the Samaritans that helps us stop on this verse. When, we, when we're talking about having a message to share. The Samaritans basically refused to accept most of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible as we know it. They were good with the Pentateuch, the first five books. And that's pretty much it. And so, how is Philip going to come and have the kind of gospel sharing that we found with Stephen in his argument where he goes all the way through Jewish history and he takes it all the way up to Jesus Christ through the lineage and through the experiences of all the patriarchs, et cetera, et cetera, and through the prophets? Philip doesn't do that. It says he proclaimed to them the Christ, and in their mind, because they only took the first five books of the Bible, their best hope for some eschatological salvation Salvation was through this prophet like Moses. And that's the message that Philip gives them. You know, you know what this argues for? It argues for engaging people at a level they can get the gospel. And that's what he does here. He packages it in a way that gets through to them. 
That's not because he's a smart guy, although I'm guessing he was. It's the Spirit of God at work through his life. It translates the context for a gospel message. If that's not enough for you, jump over with me to chapter 8, verses 26 through 35. Now, between where we are in this uh, verses uh, 4 through uh, 8 and where we're picking it up now in verse 26 and following, there is this passage in there where Simon Peter and John go to Samaria, and, and there's, some, there's some problematic text in there for some of us. So I'm going to deal with that tonight in our Bible study time tonight, talk about how you deal with problematic texts and things that might look one way and you're not really sure about. So that's what we'll do in our service, our, our Bible study tonight up in Wolf Conference Center. That starts at 6 o'clock. Uh, but I, I'm going to just pass over that middle part. Now we're going to pick up this next episode in Philip's life. Eight, uh, Acts 8, uh, verses 26 now through 35 Here's what it reads. And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south of the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. <clears throat> you catch? He, he caught a chariot. He ran and caught a chariot. Maybe they were going slow. It's a desert place. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Here's what I want you to get from that. Well, it's a great story. We know the story. We're familiar with it. But I want you to notice the contrast between those two verses, the first one we read and this last passage. Philip tailors his message to the recipient. How do you share the gospel and communicate it in a way that helps the other person to get it. The truth I want you to get today from this is we have to let the Holy Spirit show us the best way to connect. You need to know the gospel story. Let me say that again. You need to know the gospel story so, so that you can describe it in one sentence, one paragraph, one page, one chapter. You need to know the gospel story. And you need to know your part in the gospel story. But those are the prerequisites to being able to connect with people with the good news of Jesus Christ. That, that only comes as we walk with the Lord day by day and he dwells us through his Holy Spirit and he teaches us and he helps us then in those moments with connecting at the appropriate level. 
I recently reread a book that I read uh, probably seven or eight years ago. It's entitled Breaking the Missional Code. The subtitle is Your Church Can Become a Missionary in Your Community. This is by Ed Stetsman and David Putman. It's a good read if you're uh, interested in how churches might function in a way that makes them most effective in reaching into their community. That's why I'm reading it again because it's such a good read the first time. It's good to be reminded. So I'm going to give you a, a, a quote from them. Here's what they say, page 93 of that book. The church must become an indigenous expression of its context. An indigenous expression of its context. So contextualization comes into play. And when it comes to contextualization, reality suggests that the eternal universal truth of God's Word is understood and appropriated by people through a cultural grid or framework. In other words, we would not in First Baptist Church El Paso want to go to a church in downtown New York City. I assume they have churches there. We would not go to them and have them teach us how to move their model of church to First Baptist Church El Paso because the context is different. One of the things that helped me as I moved from a 20-year time in South Texas on the border out to El Paso on the border, it helped me to understand border culture and the context in which we do church. But here's a, a news flash. It's still different than it was. Two border cities, but El Paso's much different than First Baptist Church of Edinburgh was. We, and if you're a leader in this church, this is, this is a good message for us. We have to be able to see what's out there take the gospel without diluting it and without uh, just, you know, selling out to relevancy, but we have to figure out how do we do this in our context? And then we communicate, communicate the gospel into that. Okay? This is, this is one of those things where you scratch the surface, and if you're not careful, it sends you on a five-year digging expedition, uh, expedition on how to get it done. Here's what I want you to get. The Holy Spirit guides that for us. And so, as leaders or not leaders in our church, we just need to make sure that we are walking with him. That being said, let's go to the second one real quick. Second truth I want us to take from this passage is that being appropriately filled gives you supernatural support. I'm going to let that sink in because I'm about to go to a place that some of you are going to go, oh. Being appropriately filled gives you supernatural support. Have you had the opportunity to go someplace? There, there is a fine dining restaurant here in El Paso that, that does this a lot. And what I mean does this is where they say, so you've, you, you've come and you've tested us, Okay. In this case, it has to do with food and service. And so, if you will go to our website, and if you'll fill out this survey, then we will give you the chance to win a free Whataburger. If you don't, if you don't traffic with Whataburger, then you haven't had the chance to win a free Whataburger by going to their website and saying, yeah, it was great. And they'll even put you in the drawing if you say it was horrible experience. 
which I'm not sure why you would want a free Whataburger if it was a horrible experience. More and more companies, I'm finding at least, are doing that. Maybe it's some online order that you do or Amazon wants you to write a review. And uh, Some of my favorite reading online is to go to some of these Amazon reviews for people who you know are just yanking the chain of those people. Let me take that. Okay, so what they're wanting is they're wanting a good review so that they can market that better. Why, why do so many Christians really struggle with being personal witnesses of Jesus Christ? I, I, don't, I would never want to put anybody on the spot here, so I don't, that's not what I'm trying to do. But I, I talk to so many Christians through the years, so when it comes to sharing a gospel witness, they just... Like shut down. Oh, I could never do that. I, you, you know, you're a pastor, and you know we pay you to do that. No, you don't. I share witness because Jesus Christ changed my life, and I believe He'll change your life. It's not a pay thing; it's a calling thing, and all of us are called to do that. So, why do we? I, I, I really, through the years, I've really tried to wrestle with that, try to get answers. I think it, it is not because Christian people don't care about other people. I don't believe that's it at all. That's, that's counterintuitive to the whole gospel, that we would not care about other people. So I don't think that's it. I, I don't think that, it's, we're, that we're not necessarily trained to do it because we do a lot of training. I think that maybe, at least part of the truth in this, is that we don't do that because our tendency is to lock the Holy Spirit out of the process. And we just think we're on our own when we go do it. So here's good news for you. Never, never go into a gospel-sharing encounter without the Holy Spirit leading you in it. Because if you're doing it in your own strength, you could mess it up. Now, God's bigger than you and your abilities, but I've known people who came through a, a terrible experience with other Christians and come away going, I don't want any of that. So never go into a gospel-sharing encounter without the Holy Spirit's help. We're in Acts 6 again now, so we go back to that first part of this. And Philip is with the Samaritans. And he says this, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Hmm. So God used signs, I'll come back to that word shortly, but God used signs to seize their attention and provide the opportunity for them to hear what Philip had to say. Let's not miss that. As a matter of fact, we go back to Acts 1 and work our way through. Even more than that, we go all the way to the Gospels. And Jesus, early on, was doing signs and wonders among the people. And those signs and wonders for Jesus and also for Simon Peter and that early church, those things were like telegraphs that went out to going, hey, you need to hear what this guy has to say. It grabbed their attention and pulled them in. Signs. John's entire Gospel at least partially, uh, his, his whole gospel is built on two basic uh, thematic things. And one of them is the seven signs that Jesus did that pointed to people that he was divine, God the Son, in fact. 
The other part of it were the seven I am sayings that Jesus has there. And so John fashions this incredible, deep theology of a gospel, but he builds it around, here's what Jesus did, and that set the people up for here's what Jesus said. And we've seen that in this book of Acts up to this point. So what do you, what do you think about signs? Does God still do signs? in our society today? Shall I go ahead and put myself right out there on the chopping block with a bunch of Baptists? Does God still do miracles? I say yes. Be careful. We're not having a healing service this afternoon, just so you know, or next afternoon, or that's not what I'm talking about. If God was ever able to do miracles... He's still able to do miracles. Now, does he do them like we find in some places in Scripture? Let me give you an example here. When, when we lived, um, well, I, I went through a series of real health issues a number of years ago now. And... Uh, so someone in our family suggested we go to their church. And so I had, we had, it was vacation time. We'd gone see uh, some family members. And so I went to this church. And this was a, um, uh, they were not Baptist, not even a little. And so these health issues that I were having were, were becoming debilitating. I, I preached sitting in a chair for three months because I couldn't stand long enough without uh, this physical problem just taken over. Incredible pain, all of those kind of things. And so, went to this church and this group of people uh, at that church because of our family connection knew that I was having that. And so, when the service was over, this group of about five people came and surrounded me. Now, I've, I've seen a lot of Billy Jack movies and, you know, <laughs> Chuck Norris movies and I was thinking, you surround me you know, you're going to get me, but I'm taking one of you with me at least. <laughs> and they surrounded me, and then the spokesperson of the group stepped up, and she said this, we understand that you have a physical problem. We are the healing team of our church, and we would like to pray that God would heal you right now. So what do you say to that? I said, nah, I'm good. I did not say that, all right? I did not. First of all, I had a family member I wanted to be, uh, be, you know, to be fair with. And frankly, I believe that God still heals people. I will say this, okay? Never trust a faith healer who wears glasses. And so, I'm just going to sit down over here and let y'all catch up. I believe that God still heals people. Sometimes he uses physicians. I mean, you know, it, you, don't, you don't just get to become a doctor, right? So I think God gives people a certain capacity to understand how the human body works and all that. So sometimes he uses physicians. Sometimes he uses medications. And occasionally, I think that sometimes God just heals, okay? But it didn't happen for me that day. And so I sat down in this chair, and these people are touching me, and I'm going, I don't even know you. Don't touch me. And, 
And as soon as they finished praying for me, I don't know how long it took, six days, seven days, I don't know. As soon as they finished praying for me, here's the question. So how do you feel? I'm in pain. Oh. And they kind of dispersed because apparently it was my problem. Maybe it was. Here's, here's what I want you to get. God still can do miracles. But just because he can doesn't mean that he necessarily will in your circumstance. And so with that in mind, as it comes to this gospel share that we're talking about doing this, connecting with people and the communication that comes with that, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is in charge of that. So for uh, Philip, in this particular case, he was given this divine ability to connect with those people, and signs and wonders were being done consistent with what we found in the New Testament up to this point. But the longer we go in the book of Acts, let me just rephrase that, the longer we go throughout the New Testament, we see less and less of the necessity for these things. I believe that those signs and wonders God uses, especially in, in situations and places, and we'll talk about this tonight, where, where there is a need for some kind of, of affirmation that this is real, that what's going on here. In, in burgeoning uh, mission kind of level connections. We have, you have, enough biblical content to act in faith on what God can and will do. So you don't need a bunch of signs out there going on. When God needs to do it, he can do it. So our job is to just be aware that he can do that even though he may choose not to, which means we have to communicate well. And by the way, one last thing. You are the sign. If God has changed your life, you're the sign. That's why I said last week to our graduates and everybody else, tell your story. Because the truth of the matter is, I, I could take that. I've told that story about that church and not getting much out of that. I've told that to people. And I came out of that and said, you know what? God eventually healed me. Was it because of their prayer? I don't know. It was nine months later or so. So I'm not sure it was that. But God eventually helped me find the problem through a great physician. And over a period of time, here I am. Same for you. Tell your story. Last point, and we're done. This one's short. Short to relative. Being, being appropriately filled also positions you. Acts 8, 4, and 5. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Let me stop right there. What's he doing there? Why is he there? And the persecution, that's verse 4, pushed them out, and so he's there. But we jump over to Acts uh, 8, verses 36 through 38, and now we say, so what's going on here? Why, why was Philip out there on that desert road where he meets this guy? By the way, don't miss that. He gets there at precisely the right time. He's there to see that group, uh, that 
chariot come through. He's there to hear as that guy's reading that particular passage, and he has the opportunity to speak into that. And then when it's over, verses 36 through 38, here's what we're reading. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. And the eunuch said, Here is water, and what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Here's a good thing from, from, I learned in El Paso. I grew up in Odessa, but I've learned some other things here in El Paso. It's hard to find water. <laughs> Look at all of the pieces of this with that eunuch and that particular chariot. Philip was there at the right time. The Holy Spirit sent him there. The guy was reading this passage that opened up a gospel witness. That happened. He made a profession of faith, we believe, based on all things. He doesn't say that exactly, but that's what we believe happened. And he happened to be, look, here's water in the desert. The Holy Spirit will position you for divine appointments. You could never set these up. It's the Holy Spirit leading you. I, I, I'll tell you this, and then we'll, we'll close. Not all that long ago. This happened actually quite a bit, but not all that long ago, I was leaving the office, and I needed to go do something. It was, you know, it was kind of during the day, so I was headed over to an appointment somewhere. And uh, as I walked out the front doors, there was a guy walking across the parking lot. That happens a lot. We have a lot of regulars that come here. Joe uh, and Javi do a great job in engaging the regulars around here. Uh, and, but as I was walking out, there was a guy I hadn't seen before, and I just said something to him, uh, how you doing? He said, well, you know, I'm really not doing very good. And I thought, okay. Well, so what's up? And so we had this opportunity. He's coming out of a drug habit that's exactly the drug habit that I used to have. And so I started talking to him about that. So how are you dealing with that? What's going on with that? How's your life? How are your relationships? Through all of that stuff, I had the opportunity to say, let me tell you my story. And I, I said, I, I didn't grow up in that building. I was out on the streets like you are for a lot, big part of my life, and here's what Jesus Christ did for me. I would love to tell you that that guy accepted Christ. He did not, but he heard the gospel. The Holy Spirit will position you with the divine Appointment. So our job is to pay attention to what's going on. People cross our paths. Maybe, maybe that person for 10 years has been being set up for that encounter. Here's the bottom line for it all. When we choose to walk with Jesus, he indwells us through the Holy Spirit in such a way that that gospel encounter should never be intimidating for us. It should just be a part of our everyday life. Who you are as a person does not ride on what that person says. So who's in your circle that desperately needs life? Let's pray. And so for you who are here who don't have that life that Jesus gives, we offer it to you today. It's not ours to give. It's his to give. We're just the messengers. But if you're here, as we talked earlier, and your life seems to be out of whack and you can't seem to get it right, and you know that something's missing, maybe today that divine appointment is yours. You have a chance to come to know Jesus Christ and be forgiven 
and be restored in relationship with your creator. If that's you, this invitation time is for you. We invite you to slip out, come up. Eric will be down here. I'll be down here. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. But that's the first step. If you're here and you know Jesus, this invitation for you is it's a time of reflection. Am I consistently following Jesus and the lead of the Holy Spirit and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? If not, now's a good time to make a renewed commitment to do that. Father, we ask now that you would change lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Try